Grab your Bible if you have one there, or take the pew Bible, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 9 through 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So this is the word of our Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. As we continue to journey through uh, the, the epistles of Paul, we are looking at how he prayed, his attitude towards prayer. And today... We're going to continue to look at this, this, the fact that he was driven to prayer because he had a passion for people. He loved people. He, he wanted to see people grow in Jesus Christ. He was excited about people, and that's what led him to pray. Now, he, he doesn't pray abstract prayer. He doesn't pray things that uh, you could pray for anybody. He prays things for the people he knows. His prayers are for real people. Who, who lived, who were struggling with life, who were growing Christ, who were struggling with their faith. These are the people he prays for, and he prays passionately, passionately for them. Some of them he knew intimately, some of them he had never met. And yet he knew about them, and he prayed for them. He was deeply concerned for those he prayed. And that's obvious in his prayers. So Paul prays, he preaches, and he writes because of the people. Not because of some desire to elevate himself, not because of some narcissistic desire to be the center of all things, but because he loved people, he was passionate about people. So he prays, he preaches, and he writes. A little review from, from what we saw last week as the motivation for Paul's prayer and his passion for people. We saw that Paul's prayers arise out of his intense longing to be with the Thessalonians. He wants to be with them. That's what caused him to pray. He wanted to be with them, and he's not been able to do so. Here in Paul, we see a Christian so committed to the well-being of other Christians, especially new Christians. Remember, the Thessalonian church is a new church. That he is simply burning up inside to be with them, to help them, to nurture them to feed them, to stabilize them. And because he can't do that in person, he prays for them. Paul is a passionate man. He's deeply entangled in the lives of real people. And because of that, he prays for them. We also saw last week that Paul's prayer here in 1 Thessalonians arises out of a passionate affection that seeks the good of others. He's not seeking their praise. He's not seeking their gratitude. He's not seeking their recognition, their acceptance. He's seeking their good. And as we minister to others, including in our prayer, we do that not because we love ministry, but because we love people. We pray for them because we love them. So when we think of people, 
we should be thinking, how can I most how can I be most useful for them? How can I best glorify God by serving his people? How shall the Christian service to which God calls me be enhanced by my daily death, by my commitment to take up my cross daily and die? That's the kind of, these are the kind of questions that Paul is asking himself as he's ministering to the Thessalonians in prayer. Now, we find joy in ministering to others, but that joy, that happiness is a byproduct of our serving them. And that's where the joy is, in serving others. We saw last week in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 that Paul is in agony out of his concern for their good. And he, that drives him to pray for them. And he calls us to the same open eye, the same intentional death to self-interest for the good of others. He prays, he, he calls us to, as it were, to agonize over other people in prayer. To use a Puritan uh, expression, to storm the mercy seat on behalf of other people and put them before God till God answers um, our prayers. He, Paul wants us to be Jacob's. Remember Jacob's uh, story in which he, the angel of the Lord comes with, to him at night and he wrestles with the, end of the, the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord says, let me go. And Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. To the point that the angel of the Lord has to dislocate Jacob's hip in order to let him go. That's the sort of prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. This is sort of attitude and engagement with God on behalf of others, that Paul was engaging with God. And we also saw last week that Paul's prayer sprang from a delight at the reports that he received concerning the Thessalonians' faith, their love for one another, and their perseverance, and their strength. Paul was super excited to hear about what the Lord was doing in their hearts, in their lives. He was genuinely excited about everything that God was doing in them. So he prays for them and praises God for what God has been doing in their lives. He's genuinely interested and excited for what God is doing in the Thessalonians. And we have to to be that way too. We need to be excited about what the Lord is doing in each other's lives. But we're only going to do that if we actually care for one another, if we're passionate about one another. Prayers that are devoid of this kind of love that we find in Paul's, Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians. They're just going to be phony prayers. They're going to be shallow prayers. They're going to be hollow prayers if they're devoid of passion for God's people. So that's what we saw last week. That's the motivation for Paul's prayer. Now we, <coughs> I'm sorry. Now we actually get to see the, the prayer. So far, we've taken a, a Wednesday and a half just to look at the motivation so that we can get to the prayer. Now we actually get the prayer in verses 9 through 13. It's a prayer report and a prayer in verses 9 through 13 of chapter 3. And you can see the passion for people oozing out of this prayer that Paul prays for the Thessalonians. And notice, first of all, that Paul prays with rich thankfulness for the people of God. In verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? He is speechless. He, 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 he's 
searching for words to express how thankful he is for the Thessalonians, for what God is doing in them. Now, he wants to encourage them with his thankfulness for them, but he doesn't address his thankfulness to them. He addresses his thankfulness to God for them. Although Thanksgiving is not directly the Thessalonians here, nevertheless, it is cast in such a way to encourage them. And Paul is very careful in how he's wording this. He's thanking God for them, and he tells them that so that they can be encouraged for Paul's praise of God on their behalf. He encourages them by telling them that he thanks God for his grace in their lives. And by doing that, he simultaneously draws attention to the Thessalonians' spiritual growth. And by doing that, he encourages them. But also, in insisting that God is the one to be thanked, he helps them to be humble, in knowing that that growth is not coming from themselves, but it's coming from God. Because God and God alone is to be praised for the signs of grace in the lives of believers. Yet, believers cannot help but be encouraged when they know that someone is praising God for them. So take a moment now for a little homework. Well, it's not homework. It's in-class work, since we are in class. I wanted to take a few seconds, and I I know this is kind of weird and so on, but just look around for a second. Look around. The people there sitting around you, you you will involve turning your neck just a little bit. You think you can do that. And as you do that, as you remember the people that you saw, as you remember the people that you saw, can you think of a work of grace that God is doing in their lives? Do you know them well enough to know a work of grace that God is doing? All of us in this room here, except for Titus, profess faith in Jesus Christ. Right? So take each other at their profession, which means that we all are followers of Jesus Christ, which means that God is work in a work of grace in each one of our hearts. Do we, can we notice that? Do we know that? Do we know people well enough to say, man, I'm so thankful that God is doing this in Jerry's life and this in Ethan's life, and I can see, well, not Keith, but, uh, no, just so, okay, <laughs> I, 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 Keith too. The work of, of God in, in, in Keith's life and the blessing that he is. And, uh, and Paul knows that about that song. Even though he smiles hundreds of miles away, he knows that, he's interested in that. And he praises God for, for that. And he encourages them by telling them, I'm, you led me to praise God because of what God is doing in, in your life. And that's the kind of prayers that if you're passionate about people, you're going to be, to be praying. Now, how much would our church be transformed if each of us made it a practice to thank God for others and then tell them, Tell them what is about them that we thank God for. Tell them what is it, what is the work of grace that you're praising God for in each other's life. I think great revival and encouragement and unity and love will be built if we did that. You know, we're pretty good at Matthew 18, right? Matthew 18, we need to confront one sins. But the Bible speaks more about talking about the good in other people than necessarily about the confrontation that should be taken in place because of sin. We, we can't neglect that, but we also need to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes, which is seeing the work of grace in 
people's lives. Now, notice the second thing in verses 10 and 11, that Paul prays that he might be able to strengthen these believers in Thessalonica. He says in verse 10, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. <coughs> this is a prayer of a servant, not of a self-centered narcissist. He wants to go in order to bless them. It's not for them. He's not seeking a vacation in Thessalonica. I don't know if it's a good place to go on vacation or not. It's in Greece, so it'd probably be a great place to go. But that's not what he's looking for. He said, I, I, I'm praying passionately that God let me go to you so that I can serve you. And notice two things. This is, he's playing, praying for the Thessalonians night and day. And this is not unusual. This is how Paul does things. He, he prays for the church night and day. We see that in 1 Corinthians 1. We see that in Philippians one and so on. And this goes beyond just being in a constant frame of mind that leads to prayer. That's not what Paul is talking about. He only says he prayed for them night and day. He prayed for them in the morning and he prayed for them in the evening. That is to say that in his regular times for prayer, which in his case was night and day, day and night, he remembers that Thessalonians before the Lord. He says, I have a prayer list, in essence, Paul is saying, and I pray through it in the morning and I pray through it in the evening. And you're in both of those times. I pray for you. And he says that to several churches. And I don't think Paul is lying. He's speaking in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is true. This is what he did. And that has to be a practice as well. Now, that's a lot of work. Prayer is hard work. Isn't it? You know, at the moment you say, I'm going to really focus on prayer, what happens? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, I, I remember when you know, I, I, I was assistant pastor, so I, most Sundays I was sitting where you are. And I remember when Pastor Dim would say, let us pray for the pastoral prayer. I almost felt like in my mind it was code word to let your mind go in a thousand different directions. You know, and then you try to reel it back in and you spend the whole time, okay, at least I have to listen to the amen. Especially on the ways at night when you come, you're tired after a whole day of work and people go on praying. Back in the day, there was a guy that he would pray in a monotone voice. And you pray forever. And all you hope for is that you could hear the amen so that you could wake up at that point. It was just difficult to stay awake. And I think that that's the struggle that we all have with, with prayer. So prayer is hard work. And if we're going to pray night and day for people, we'd have to give up some things to do that. But it's a good work with eternal, re- eternal return on our investment. So he prays night and day. And at the core of Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is the petition that he might see them again in order to supply what may be lacking in their faith. That's what he wants to do. I want to come to you so that I can be used by Jesus to help you grow in Christ. He doesn't simply pray, pray that their faith would be strengthened by some undefined means. He's not just praying, oh Lord, may their faith increase. He is praying that the Lord would use him to serve them, which is also a lot of work. He couldn't pray for them without longing to serve them himself. And this was true even of believers that he hasn't, hadn't personally met. 
He prays the same prayers for the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, and he hadn't met them. He hadn't been there before. It was a church started by um, Jews, perhaps in the diaspora, that had heard the, pre- the preaching of Peter at Pentecost and had ended up in, in Rome. Perhaps uh, Priscilla and Aquila started the church, but it wasn't Paul, and he didn't know them, and yet he's praying the same prayer for them. And this mindset ought to be in all of us. Not only that we pray that God would build each other up in their faith, but that God would use us to minister to them in that building up of their faith. Few of us would be called to cross-cultural ministry. Is that fair to say? I think just playing the averages, not all of us are going to go to a foreign country to minister cross-culturally. Few of us will be able to minister personally to all believers for whom we must be praying. Right? We should be praying for a whole lot more people than what we can personally minister to. But the mindset of service should belong to all of us, especially when we pray. And as we pray for people, as we pray for people, we may be able to do more than that as well. As we pray for people, we may be able to write an encouraging note to someone. Oh, uh, Jerry was talking to me on Sunday saying that he was super encouraged by a note that he re- received from somebody with super nice calligraphy handwriting and welcoming him as a member in the church. The person just did it. wasn't, no, I didn't ask the person to do it. It wasn't, no, there was no revelation that she didn't read First Thessalonians and say, oh, God is telling me directly from heaven. Hey, I can write nicely. I'm going to write notes to people. We can do that. As we pray for people, perhaps we might be able to befriend a teenager who's starting to veer off the path. An older person. Whoa. Cross-generational relationships? Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible tells us to do. As we pray for people, we may be able to start a Bible study in our neighborhood. In, uh, in, in Great Britain, evangelicals in Great Britain, they do this thing called, let's read the Bible together. And do you know what they mean by that? You sit with somebody and read the Bible together. <laughs> it's, it doesn't, it, you don't have to spend a lot of time doing it. They have little booklets, actually very short booklets explaining how you do it. Right? You open the Bible and you read it. And it's kind of uh, that... Uh, and you can do that in your neighborhood. Invite people to read the Bible together. And then you give them all plain Bible, and you get a study Bible. So you have the notes, and you can sell them. No, no, you don't need to do that. But, you know, it doesn't take a lot to do that. You know, most of you have been in church years. Uh, I, I wonder if we went around here, if we, had, uh, if we started to add all the church attendance that we have here, if we didn't have 500 years of church attendance in this sanctuary right now. 500 years worth of messages, of Sunday school lessons, of sermons, of, well, maybe 10 years of podcasts, and, and, and so on. God has equipped you. And as you pray for people, maybe you can start a Bible study in your neighborhood. As you pray for people, maybe you'll be able to discreetly admonish someone who is doing damage with unguarded speech. These things are not as glamorous as going overseas and you know, saving the world, but is as service to the faith 
as going to cross-cultural ministry is. And that comes from a mindset of praying for all and ministering to all. Now, Paul is aware of factors that present him from serve, prevent him from serving as he would like to. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, what form of this satanic opposition, what form it took, we don't know. It's not recorded anywhere. But his inability to serve them drove Paul to more fervent prayer that he would indeed be able to serve them. The obstacles drove him to pray more. The obstacle drove him to ask God to be able to do that more, to be with them. So we need to be aware of what's hindering us from serving our brothers and sisters in, in the faith. And then we need to pray that those hindrances would be removed, including messed up relationships. Oh, I would love to help that brother and sister, but we had this agreement and we, we are not talking right now. No. Pray that the Lord would heal that relationship and then do whatever you can to solve that, to fix that. For God calls you, that's a command. If you love God, he says in Romans 12, 18, that you're going to do whatever you can to live at peace with all people. And that means res resolving um, conflicts in your life. Thirdly, third big thing I want us to see here in this prayer is in verse 12. Paul prays that there might be an overflow of love among believers. He says, <coughs> And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. The increase Paul prays for is not in numbers or material possessions, but in spirit, in strength, in the, in the right perspective in life, in heart. That's why he's praying, that, that this would increase in the brethren. Paul wants every one of them to grow in their faith and in their love for one another. And sometimes we need to ask ourselves, do I care about the people around me enough to pray this prayer for them? Right? It's great to pray for health. It's great to pray for healing. It's great to pray for all these things. But are we also interested so much in the heart and the soul of our brothers and sisters that we're praying that they would grow in their faith and in their love for one another? You know, Paul doesn't put any of them down. He just lifts them up. And that's what we're called to do as well. We will see deep spiritual renewal in our church if by God's grace we make a commitment not to put anyone down but to just raise them up in prayer. And then lastly, Paul prays that these believers will be so strengthened in heart that they will be blameless and holy when he end, the end comes. Verse 13, he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul is playing the long game here. He's, not, he's just not interested just about tomorrow, but all the way to the end. He prays to that end. He prays that every Christian will be so strengthened that they will become blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. When we pray with eternity in view, we are driven to pray for people. Because people like you and me are the ones who, at the end, will have to give an account before God. And if we keep that in mind, 
would be very serious about praying for one another, that we would indeed be found blameless and holy before God. So from, from an eternal perspective, there's no prayer we can pray for others more fundamental than this, that God might strengthen their hearts so that they will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father on the last day. That, that's the most fundamental thing we can pray for one another. But we only pray this prayer in faith if we have a passion for God and for people. Otherwise, we just don't care what will happen to people in the last day. Any thoughts about the things that we talk about tonight? Jerry? He mentioned that he wishes he could be with them to help them in whatever is lacking in their faith. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Does that mean you need to really get to know them personally and see where they need help spiritually or what? So in this case, remember, uh, Paul had to leave Thessalon Thessalonica in a hurry. He may have been there as short as three weeks, maybe a couple months tops. So he left a fledgling church behind, a, a very immature Christian church. And there's lots of holes, as evidenced by the reports that he's receiving in their faith. So he wants to go there to strengthen them in their faith. That's what, that's what it means here. The application for us is that we should be knowing people enough to know where we can help them in their faith. And sometimes that is in instruction. Sometimes it is an encouragement. It, you know, it's not, it's not always in instruction to other people. Right? They might be struggling with uh, an experiential thing regarding their faith. It's not that they don't know the Bible. It's that there's some other things that need help with in their faith. And the application is that we need to be striving for that. That God would use us to further each other's faith. Does it make sense to you? Well, yeah, but since he can't get back there to see what those holes are, is he relying on Timothy? Right, so he sent Timothy and he sent Silas so far. And then uh, he sent Timothy, Timothy didn't come back, okay. he sent Silas, Silas wasn't coming fast enough, he, he went back halfway, and then Timothy came back okay. and gave him a good report. Okay. And he said, oh, that's great. Does it make sense? Yeah, it does. All right. Any other questions or comments? So may the Lord give us the grace and the strength and the desire to pray like this. But that's going, going to happen. We, we also have the passion for the people. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. Thank you for the examples that we find in it. And we thank you for the grace that we have in Jesus Christ to do all that you call us to do. We pray that we would be passionate people, people who love people, and that that would be demonstrated in the way that we pray for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.